All right, who loves a summer barbecue as much as I do? Listen, if you want to impress everyone with some super yummy dishes, you need ButcherBox in your life. ButcherBox is my go-to subscription box that delivers high-quality meat and seafood to your door with free shipping always. And I'm talking high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. We are saving so much money every month with ButcherBox over going to the grocery store and buying meat and seafood and saving a lot of time. But get this, last month we saved nearly $200. I also love that ButcherBox curates these tips and recipes that are based on your box so you know what to cook. I made the most amazing steak with a basil sauce the other night. And oh, let me tell you, my friends all raved at how amazing it tasted. I'm definitely going to be pulling that recipe out. If you want great meat and seafood in your life, you need ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com etm and use code etm at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com etm and use code etm. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. But ultimately, and this is why it's so important, I think, to learn from the dying is if you want to have kind of a happy, peaceful death, you need a happy, peaceful life. And if you want to have a happy, peaceful life, you got to start thinking about what you would regret when you're dying and start working on that stuff now so you won't. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. What can the dying teach you about money? Turns out it's a lot. It's an interesting question that if you're like me, you don't think about a lot on a daily basis. Sometimes it's even hard to imagine that one day I just won't exist anymore. Okay, not to get too morbid with you, but as they say, the only two truths in life are death and taxes. So I think we can learn a lot about the role money should play in our lives from someone who is dying. Our guest, Dr. Jordan Grummet, you may know him as Doc G, host of the Earn and Invest podcast, and author of Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence building wealth, and living a regret-free life, had a front row seat into many of these important money and life lessons. And what I do notice is when people do focus on things or money at the end, it's never about the money itself. It's, I wish I made more money so I could have paid for my grandson's college, right? And so if you think about it in that terms, we're kind of using money almost as an excuse, like, let go of the money part and let's work on our relationships now. You don't necessarily need the money. The beauty is that you can take these important money and life lessons that Jordan's learned and start implementing them today. 
You can focus on what is enough for you. You can work through your family's money scripts. You can decide how you want to spend your time. And you can create a relationship with money that just makes you feel good. Jordan's got a lot to share. So let's start talking. Real quick before we jump in the conversation, I just want to talk to you about the sponsors of this podcast. You know, it's my job to bring you only the best companies and products that I believe will help you live a better life, save some time and money, and help you build and protect your cash. So to do that, I personally vet every single sponsor to make sure they are Shauna approved. These sponsors help keep this show free to you and allow us to bring on some amazing guests to help you on your money journey. So here's where you come in. I need you to do me a favor and like and support the sponsors on this show that you love so we can keep this podcast growing for years. You can find all the links in the show notes to all our sponsors, along with a special code for all of our ETM discounts and deals. Thanks so much, my friend. Into the episode we go. Jordan, or Doc G as you go by, welcome to Everyone's Talking Money. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, having two names is a little complicated. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) But it also might be a little fun, right? Like you get to have a little bit of like an alter ego. You know, yeah, it is. So, and then what happened is I was on Facebook and they wouldn't accept Doc G after about three months. So I changed it to Dr. Green. So now I've kind of got like multiple names. Thankfully, I don't think I have multiple personalities yet, but we're going to try to limit that. We're we're going to try to work on that, right? <laughs> well, it, it's so great to have you on the show. I was uh, on a, a recap episode on your show, Earn and Invest last year. And so, you know, I thought that uh, what you talk about and your story is is so impactful. You just wrote this book called Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life, all things that I think all of us want to do. So, you know, what can what can the dying actually teach us about money? What can we learn? So funny enough, the answer is a heck of a lot. You have to imagine I went through this process of becoming a doctor and all I could think about was being a doctor until I burned out and realized that wasn't what I wanted in life anymore. And so I dove into personal finances, figuring out how I can have enough money not to be a doctor anymore. I figured that out. And what I thought was going to be that joy and passion and excitement of being done with being a doctor actually turned into trepidation and anxiety because I didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to do with my life. So I started looking out in the world and trying to figure this out. The one thing the medicine that I had held on to was being a hospice doctor, taking care of the terminally ill, because I would do that even if I wasn't being paid for it. So I'm like, okay, this is a big part of my purpose. It's what I like to do. And so I was having all these financial conversations. I was writing a blog at the time. Eventually, I started a podcast, not about how you get towards having enough money, but more importantly, what we do once we're there. And I didn't have any great answers. And a lot of times, my guests, the experts didn't necessarily have the answers, but you know who seemed to have the answers? My dying patients. And there was like this realization that when you have that moment clarified for you, when someone looks you in the face and says, you have three months or six months to live. It changes everything. And I think one of the things that it specifically changes is it drops all those barriers, right? All the things that society has told us and people have told us, or maybe we've told ourselves that are important. When you realize you're dying, you kind of let go of all that and you say, what's really important to me? And so what I've learned from the dying is your last paycheck is not important. How many hours you spent in the office or even what your job title is wasn't important. 
What really is important to people are those things that were deeply meaningful to them. And what they regret is not spending the time, energy, or having the courage to pursue those things. And those can be things like some people love things and collect things, and that's really important to them. For other people, that's experiences, that's going places or um, taking part in different get togethers and meetups and those type of things. And for other people, that's relationships. So for every person, it's different. But the tie in is this idea that there were these things that were important to me and I kept putting them off and never did them. And now it's too late. Yeah, you talk about regrets. And one thing I love about your book is you share all these stories from all of these different people and sometimes contrasting stories um, from like different perspectives. But I, I love this idea of, of regret. And in the book, you keep coming back to throughout all of these stories that that people regretted you know, not being able to be themselves fully or not being able to do the things that they wanted to do. And, and a lot of times that conversation, there wasn't a monetary component involved in it. It was more about just needing to, to be who they thought they were in the world. I think we've really lost track of this idea that money is not a goal, it's a tool, and we should then use it as a tool to actually build the life we want. And so the dying don't really focus on this tool nearly as much as what the tool was supposed to get them, which was doing those things they wanted to do, being true to themselves, living out their purpose. And so, yeah, the money is not as important, but I would be remiss in saying it's not important at all. I think money can actually build a financial framework for us to live these better lives. So I don't think we should ignore it, but we should recognize what it is, which is a great tool, one of many tools to living a better life. So thinking about this this idea of you know hospice and be, being around people that are dying, I would imagine just the uh, emotional kind of impact that that has. Um, I lost uh, most of my grandparents before I was really old enough to know them. Um, my grandma ended up passing away when I was like 12 or 13, but I I still wasn't in the place where I could have conversations with her about, you know, like deep life stuff and life lessons. And I feel really sad to have missed, you know, getting those lessons. And, you know, I think about my parents, my parents are in the 80s. And I grew up in a financial family, and so we've always kind of talked about money and had had conversations. But I know those those conversations, you know, can can still be hard to have. I was wondering, you know, if you had any advice, like how do we have conversations with, you know, our parents or our partners when we're in, you know, maybe these life threatening situations um, about money or about impact or you know any of these like really touchy conversations. First and foremost, like we don't like talking about money. In fact, it's one of the things we try not to talk about in the United States almost more than anything else. But like you said, it's incredibly important to do it. It's important to hopefully do it when we're not in the middle of crisis, right? So I think when we're in the middle of the crisis, the best thing, especially when you're talking to your parents, is to really talk about legacy, right? Because that's a very non-threatening way to talk about this. So when you're in crisis, God forbid someone's been given a terminal diagnosis or you're not sure things are touch and go, the question more is, look, mom and dad, this maybe is the first time that I've realized that our time could be limited 
And I think a lot about what you want us to remember of you when you're not here. What should we pass on to the grandkids? What type of things, what are those stories you want us to tell about you? So I think when you're in the middle of a crisis, legacy is really what you want to talk about because you want to make sure that that family member knows whether they're here or not, they will continue to be part of your life. When you're outside of crisis, maybe you're looking at your parents saying, hmm, they're getting a little old. I'd really like to make sure I can help protect them and take care of them. You know, there's some good techniques to have these conversations that are a lot less threatening than tell me about your money, who gets what, right? (laughs) Because that never feels good. So one technique I use is it's wonderful to ask your parents for advice, right? So if you ask your parents, you know, have you met with an estate planner? Do you have a will? Are there trusts in place? That they may or may not respond to. But if you go to your parents and say, you know what, me and my spouse, we've been thinking about having kids, or maybe we already have kids, and we're starting to look at what we need to do to protect ourselves and our kids. I was thinking about doing a will or trust. What has been your experience? What have you done? If your parents think they're giving you advice, it actually is a really great way to open up the conversation, even if you're a financial expert, even if you don't need that advice. Um, it's a really nice door to open that ends up being a much more collaborative and friendly conversation. So I think that's a great technique. Another great technique is to point to someone you both know who really went through it. So in the book, I talk about a patient whose mom had Alzheimer's and his dad had done all the wonderful financial planning he should do for his mom. But then his dad got COVID and ended up on a ventilator. And guess what? The dad had all the financial power of attorney, but the son didn't. And so the son was confronted with this problem that his mom had Alzheimer's and couldn't make decisions. The dad who was making decisions for all of them all of a sudden had COVID and was on a ventilator and couldn't make decisions. But the son didn't have the financial power of attorney. And as anyone knows about this, getting the financial power of attorney when someone can't legally give it to you is an extremely difficult process. Um, Unfortunately, it resolved that his dad died and then he naturally was written through the papers to get the financial power of attorney. So he's able to take care of his mom before she died also. But why I'm bringing up the story is that's a great story to tell a family member and say, hey, remember our friend James? Like James went through this horrible thing with his parents. Geez, I hope we don't ever have to go through something like that. So it's giving an example of the things that can go wrong and then engaging your family members and saying, hey, how can we protect ourselves? So I think that's a good technique. And then the last technique, which we talked about before, is is talking about legacy. So asking advice, leading with a good story, or bringing up legacy are kind of like the three non-confrontational ways to start having these conversations in a much more comfortable way. Because again, ultimately, we want to remind our family members that we want them to stay in our lives even when they're not physically here. And the way we do that is actually we manage not just their wealth, but their stories. And we manage who they are and what they leave us, both physically and emotionally. I know I'm a bit biased, but honestly, I think I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a golden mountain doodle, and she is full of spunk and fun, and she's never met a ball she does not love. I honestly, I would do anything for Winnie, and she has enriched my life so much. I can confidently say Winnie is absolutely one of the most priceless purchases I have ever made. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. 
In today's world, we insure a lot, from cars and homes to cell phones and even travel plans. But what about insurance for your cat or dog? With ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. This is what I call smart spending because, let's be real, those vet bills, they can be expensive. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program, they've been around for about 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure your pet's plan is unique as they are. Because vet bills, they can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. You use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTC Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. So tell me, what are your money goals that you have for this year? Maybe you're like me and endlessly looking for a house to buy and you're focused on saving for a down payment or you're drooling over traveling somewhere tropical this year and you want to save to pay for it or you're ready to leave your job and build your own business. So you're going to need some startup funds. Whatever your goals are this year, Monarch can help you reach them. In fact, the Wall Street Journal named Monarch the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. What I love about Monarch is its simple and easy customizable design, so the dashboard can look exactly the way you want it to. I'm also a big fan of creating custom budgets for things like travel. It's one of my favorite money tips, and Monarch lets you do this so easily. This is such a great way to stay motivated when you've got a lot of money goals. You can easily track your progress with every dollar that you save or spend. Remember, your brain loves to see progress, and you should celebrate it when you're saving money. And honestly, I am so focused on privacy, so I really admire that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties. This means a lot to me, and it should mean a lot to you as well. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of the show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. I have to tell you about my new obsession, Notion, our sponsor today. Notion has single-handedly changed how I do life for the better. I use Notion for all my daily journaling so I can keep it all in one spot. I also keep all our favorite recipes that are budget-friendly in Notion so I can easily sort and find the ones I love and easily create fast grocery lists. And okay, one of the best uses of Notion, you can create a template for your money dates and track your goals right in Notion. Seriously, Notion is a game changer. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. 
It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but really getting inspired. It's an AI-powered workspace. It turns knowledge into action. You can use Notion to summarize meeting notes and auto-generate action items, get answers to questions in minute, and you can make all of your money tasks so much easier. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, freelance designer, starting a new startup, a student juggling classes and clubs, or just somebody really wanting to get your life together. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash etm. That's all lowercase letters. Notion.com slash etm and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash etm. It, yeah, it feels like um, the greatest gift if you can learn about your family's story, even if you feel like there wasn't anything impactful. But, you know, even from a money perspective, like looking back at what generations before you went through from a financial standpoint, maybe lived through the Great Depression or, you know, I had, um, I think it's three great grandfather actually um, lived in Ireland and was one of the creators of Stanley Tools hmm. and wow. um, ended up coming to the U.S. during the Great Potato Famine in Ireland mm-hmm. yep. and then came to the U.S. He, had, he and his brother uh, started Stanley Tools and brought them over to the U.S., but um, the Great Depression happened and he ended up just out of fear selling his portion of Stanley Tools because he was just so afraid and wanted to have, you know, some sort of money. And so, you know, now our family doesn't have that. <laughs> we, you know, we're not part of that that particular legacy, but you think about how stories like that then impact like that money trauma and those money fears just keep, you know, getting passed down generation to generation and it's no wonder why a lot of us feel stressed out about money and we don't even know maybe why we feel stressed out about money. Yeah, those money scripts are passed down. They're generational and they can go back many generations. What I love about legacy building is we can also turn that upside down and say, okay, not only the trauma, but what about the joy and the celebrations? Like, what about when our ancestors beat the odds and did something no one thought they could do? How do we also pass that stuff down, right? Because, again, I think that's how our ancestors live on, right? Our bodies, our minds, our souls, who knows what happens to all that. But our legacy can last and can affect generations into the future. Let's get rid of the negative stuff, the trauma and the money scripts, and let's talk about some healthy money scripts that can you know, last for, leg- for generations. Let's talk about those wins and make that a part of who we are. We can implant that into our DNA in a sense, and then it can carry on to the next generations. I know talking about a subject like death <laughs> can be scary for a lot of people, but I'm wondering just from, from your experience, you know, being a doctor and being in this environment, is there a sense of peace that you that you see come over, you know, most people when they're in those, you know, last final moments of life. So death is nothing new for me. My father died when I was 7 years old. So I kind of grew up dealing with this idea of death and then even as a medical student I volunteered at the hospice there and then became a doctor and saw death all the time. Um so for me death become a, became a natural part of the situation. Interestingly enough, I always tell people that you know, people tend to die the way they lived. So people who lived fairly peaceful lives tend to then come to fairly peaceful deaths. 
And so it's not 100%. Yes, there are people who do have tons of regrets that they didn't do all these things. They get to being on hospice and they realize there are all these things they wanted to do and they couldn't do them. And sometimes we as the hospice team try to provide them the means to at least come to some closure with that, right? So maybe they weren't able to rejuvenate that relationship with their long lost cousin, but they can get on the phone and say they're sorry, right? So it's not perfect. They didn't actually fix the relationship, but at least they can avoid some of these feelings. We try to help people do that. So there are some last minute saves, so to speak. But ultimately, and this is why it's so important, I think, to learn from the dying is if you want to have kind of a happy, peaceful death, you need a happy, peaceful life. And if you want to have a happy, peaceful life, you got to start thinking about what you would regret when you're dying and start working on that stuff now so you won't. And Mm, so it's kind of a circular argument. But the point being is that we got to start thinking about these things now. The reason why I, as a hospice doctor, have this viewpoint is seeing it through the eyes of the dying, it's just really helpful to put things into perspective. When you're given that terminal diagnosis, it's like the cold bucket of water coming right over your head. It wakes you up. My goal is let's wake people up way before that. So they don't have to be given a terminal diagnosis to start thinking about those things that are, that are important to them now. I like that. I like thinking about it from that perspective. Um, I, I don't know. It just it just makes me feel better about, <laughs> you know, talking about dying. Mm. But you know, can we reverse? We, I mean, none none of us know how long we have. Mm. You know, we we really don't. And so, thinking about it from that perspective, I, I think is just it, it's calming for me. Um, another thing you you talk about in your book, we we've just sort of danced on this a little bit, but it's this idea you call it um, money is like oxygen, right? And you say, you've got these two great stories of people dying. And then you say, you know, that day he compared money to oxygen. If you have enough, it doesn't affect your life all that much. But if you don't have enough, good luck thinking about anything else. So, you know, how do we figure out what is enough for us? And then how do we get to that place of enough? So first and foremost, that quote was actually from a podcast episode with the great Jim Dolly. He is the creator of the White Coat Investor. The idea of money as oxygen wasn't his idea per se long term, but he was using that as an example in a conversation we're having. You know, enough is a really difficult question, right? And so what I've come to realize for me, and I think it is for a lot of people, is enough only is important money-wise to get you to the point where you're comfortable and you meet your basic needs, right? And this is the whole idea of money's like oxygen. If you don't have enough oxygen to meet your basic needs, all you can think about is getting more oxygen. On the other hand, once you hit that threshold of having enough oxygen, giving you more won't necessarily do anything more for you. And in a lot of ways, money can be the same way. We need enough money for the basics. We need to be able to have clothing and shelter and a warm and safe place to live. But after that, you can look at the studies, et cetera. Money itself doesn't bring us more happiness. Now, having more money and then using it as a tool to give yourself more space and time to do things that are purposeful and that cause you enjoyment Now, then you've kind of hit on something. So I'm not going to say that all money is bad. In fact, money is good, but only as so far as it helps you create the space and time in your life to do the things you want. So then the question becomes, what is enough? And to me, the answer is really living a life of purpose, identity, and connection. So this idea of finding what's important to you in life and filling up as much of your time doing those type of things. And when it comes to purpose, 
to me, it's even more important that as opposed to some huge goal, like I want to get to this place. I always talk about podcasting as part of my purpose. So I always tell people like, I can have this huge goal in podcasting. I want to have a million downloads a month. You know, that goal is a little bit out of my hands. Like I can make the podcast. I can try to do a really good job. I can do marketing and those kind of things, but whether it really happens or not, I'm not sure I have a huge amount of control of. So focusing on that goal is my purpose probably won't make me very happy, but I do have control of this idea that I can get really exciting, interesting people and interview them. And I can create these conversations that I like so much that when I'm in the moment doing it, it really feels purposeful and special. Now, I still like this idea that I can go for some incremental change. I call this the climb, like what what we call purpose in life. I call these these different climbs we have. So for me, podcasting is a climb. It's something that I enjoy doing the process regardless of what I end up creating in the end. Uh, But I also feel like it can make a little headway, like I can do a better interview. I can get really more interesting guests. I can improve. Maybe I can get a few more downloads here and there. Um, so that to me is purpose is having these sense of climbs and doing things that we enjoy doing regardless of the outcome. And so to me, that's what enough is, is trying to fill up as much space in my life as I can to do these purposeful things that I enjoy them just for doing them. Um, and so I think if we put that into perspective, enough isn't actually a number and it's not necessarily being quote unquote financially independent. You don't have to have enough money to support yourself for the rest of your life to define enough, but you do have to have enough money so that you can start dedicating your time to doing these things you like doing. Um, And that's kind of the point. So enough is being able to fill as much of your time as you, as you can with things that are purposeful things that give you a sense of identity and help you connect with those around you. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So most people would think that, you know, becoming a doctor is like the pinnacle, right? We, we, we reach the pinnacle. We've, you know, made our parents happy. They can brag about us. We, we're a doctor. And, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about you reached a point where you got burnt out. And, 
you know, you turned to, to, to personal finance, um, learned everything you could, started your podcast, earn an event, earn and invest. You know, tell me a little bit about that that transition, that that moment of realizing this is something that you know, being a doctor is not something I I really want to do anymore. I, I want to go in this other direction. So it's funny, like being a doctor is kind of everyone's families and their dream, but in a sense, it it's something that I realized. You know, this is society's expectations, but it wasn't necessarily lighting me up inside. So my father died when I was seven. He was an oncologist, a cancer doctor. And I I think psychically, because my father died when I was so young, I almost felt like I was responsible. And somehow by taking his place, I could fix this horrible thing I'd done, which obviously wasn't the case. But, you know, being a seven-year-old, you tend to look at things through your own lens right. of you being the center of the universe. So I got into this whole career path because I thought it could psychically solve something that I had very little control over in my life. But I'll tell you, it was very purposeful when I was younger. This idea of becoming a doctor, I was very passionate about it. And for many years, I was excited about practicing medicine. But a few things happened. One is the practice of medicine just wasn't filling me up. Like I was doing lots of paperwork. Um, I was working really long hours. And it just didn't feel like I was helping people anymore, even though they felt like they were being helped. To me, it just became a job. So it wasn't really filling me up. The other thing was there was this stuff that I always loved doing, but I kind of consistently told myself, well, you can't do that for a living. So I was always trying to fit it into these small periods, these small spaces when I wasn't busy being a doctor. So I loved to write. I was writing a medical blog since 2004 but I never had enough time. So I'd be writing my blog posts literally in 30 minute increments in between lunch or late at night when my wife and kids were sleeping. Um, I wouldn't edit them. I just throw them out there because I didn't have enough time. I would do public speaking or I would do other types of storytelling and communication, things that were deeply important to me, but I never gave myself the permission to pursue them. So I got to this point where I started burning out and I realized this is no longer fulfilling me. This is not making me feel good anymore. How do I find a way out? And when I started doing that, I started looking to personal finances because I convinced myself, well, if I just have enough money to leave medicine, it'll solve all my problems. Of course, I got to that point and realized <laughs> that it was the beginning of a solution in many ways, but I had no idea who I wanted to be or what I wanted to fill my time with. And so it took me years to go from, I can leave medicine to, I've mostly left medicine and I filled my time with things I really love doing. And that just was a process. What are, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned about, about building wealth through this, um, through this process of really, you know, examining who you are and, um, you know, taking your experience of, of being, you know, a hospice doctor and learning from, from other people? So, you know, I've learned a few things about wealth. One is if you're looking at building wealth as building a certain money goal or net worth, it doesn't tend to serve you because if that becomes your purpose and your goal, one of two things happens. One is you get there and you're like, okay, what now? And so the next most obvious thing to do is to set a higher money goal. And so you get kind of on that same treadmill. We talk about the hedonic treadmill with buying things, but it's actually the same kind of hedonic treadmill with, with saving like if net worth becomes your goal, when you get there, you're not happy. You just want double. So that was one problem. The other issue with net worth being the goal is once you get there, you either want double or you become petrified that you're going to lose what you've gained. So that's loss aversion. 
And we get doubly afraid of this idea of losing what we have compared to never having it in the first place. So I learned for me that money goals aren't really great goals. And then I also learned that this idea, I love these words we use when we talk about wealth, right? So we talk about putting our money in the stock market at a young age so it can compound. And then over time, it can also pay dividends. And those dividends can lead to a richer, more wealthy life. I like looking at everything else not related to money and using the same words. So I think our education compounds. I think our experiences compound. I think our love and joy and relationships compound. And I think if we do those things well, they provide us also with dividends for the rest of our lives. And so I started really looking at wealth in a much more holistic manner. I think there is a money component, but again, it's one of many things. and. What ultimately leads us to feel like we've had A, enough, or B, wealth in life is not actually the money, but it's all those other things, those other things that help us grow and learn and help us be our better selves. Yeah, I, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee that probably all the people that you've, that you've you know, helped in a hospice situation, none of them, you know, their, their last breath has not been <laughs> something about, oh, you know, I wish I had more money saved or there isn't a there isn't a money component and i think you know it, it's hard to remember that when you're just in the slog of things day to day and like just you know everything's more expensive now you know eggs groceries gas you yeah, know everything's yeah. just um a lot a lot more stressful but it's it's like trying to figure out how we can get our brains to a place that each day we can kind of refocus on what is actually important and what I do notice is when people do focus on things or money at the end, it's never about the money itself. It's, I wish I made more money so I could have paid for my grandson's college, right? And so if you think about it in that terms, we're kind of using money almost as an excuse, like, let go of the money part and let's work on our relationships now. You don't necessarily need the money. Yes, it's nice if you have enough money to afford a better life for those that you love. But what you're really saying is, I regret that I wasn't able to more fully express my love to these people in my life. And my argument would be that we're pretty able to do that regardless of how much money we have available <laughs> in our lives right now. So why don't we do it? Exactly. Right. I mean, it, it's just so easy. <laughs> um, I'm putting you on a, on the spot a little bit to to remember this, but you have this great exercise in your book. And I thought this would be super, super helpful uh, to share this with people. It's called uh, Practicing the Art of Subtraction, and you talk about what you call the reverse lottery test. And I just love this. I was wondering if you could just share a little bit of this. We've been, we've been talking about this from all different directions, but this was a really, I think, proactive way of thinking about you know, what, is your, what, what makes up your life and the place that money has. So the reverse lottery test is this idea of imagining one day that you won the lottery and you had more money than you would ever need, how would that change your life? And so the idea is to actually go through your planner or your phone calendar or wherever you keep track of what you're doing and to look at each activity and say, what would I keep and what wouldn't I keep if I had more money than I knew what to do with? And the reason why this is such an interesting concept 
is it really helps you value how you're spending your time now. And I think once you can really parse out what's important, what adds value to me, what adds to my sense of purpose, and what doesn't, then the next question becomes, well, what if you didn't win the lottery? (laughs) What can we do to spend less of our time doing these things we don't want to do and add in more of these things we do want to do? And so this is the whole idea of let's reverse the situation and actually put you where you think you want to be and visualize what that looks like and then try to bring that to where you are today. Because again, there's, there's things we can control and there's things we can't control. We can build a path towards financial independence. We can build monetary wealth, but that takes time and there are ups and downs. And sometimes we get fired and sometimes we get a raise and sometimes we don't get a raise. I mean, that's really slow. But often how we utilize our time, what we put in those time slots we have every day, we have a little bit more control over that. And so how can we start making the move to really filling our time with things we want to immediately? Yeah, I really just I loved this exercise and and I did it when I was when I was reading the book because you know, I think you just can feel so out of control when it comes mm-hmm. to money and your life and you can feel like so many things are so many decisions are being made without your your consent or your approval or your go ahead and you know, it's it's always that that challenge to to come around it a different way and to to feel a sense of um, empowerment over your life and over your money situation. And so I'm just a big fan of, of doing exercises like this. They may feel a little silly, um, you know, on the, on the onset, but I think, you know, w- what it does to your brain and even just how it kind of jogs you out of your, um, you know, you're just sort of regular life where you feel, you feel just kind of like pulled along by what's happening to feel like you have some sense of control and to feel like you can make some of these decisions. Like to me, that feels almost like the secret of this all. Yeah. I mean, there's no question the exercises in the book, as well as this concept of what if I was going to die tomorrow, next week, next month, they're meant to be jarring. Because unfortunately, I think in some senses we need to be jarred only because it's really easy to take the biggest, most important things in your life and push them inside and ignore them because it's painful, difficult, hard work. And part of my theory really is, is doing those things that are really, really, really important to us actually reminds us of our mortality. I mean, at some point we realize by doing this important stuff, what we're really saying is that life is short and I may never get to this, so I better do it now. It's really uncomfortable to do that. And so we will do just about everything (laughs) we can to push off thinking about those important things. So the goal of my book and the goal of these exercises in some sense is to jar you into forcing you to think about these things now, not to scare you about your mortality, um, but to live a little more comfortably with it. Like, yes, life and time is limited. Instead of that scaring the heck out of us, how can that actually change our behaviors today to try to start building that life we want to have? So we've talked about this idea of of living a regret-free life and how do we start that now? We've talked about this idea of building well. So, you know, as we as we close here, let's go back to this idea of financial independence. How do we how do we start building that now so that when we get to that moment that we're taking our last breath, we can feel good about the steps that we've we've taken throughout our life? 
So in many ways, I define financial independence as actually living a life of purpose, identity, and connections. So step one is actually not to think about the finances for a short period of time and start really thinking about what purpose looks like in your life. Once you have an idea of what that is or what you really want to strive toward, towards, then it's time to really start looking at your finances. And in the book, I talk about three big paths to financial independence. If we look at it under that lens of living a purposeful life, the first one is the one I took, the one that a lot of the traditional financial independence retire early people take, which is front loading the sacrifice, right? So you can get a high paying job, maybe one you like, maybe one you don't, grind it out, work really hard for 10 or 15 years or whatever it takes, especially if you start this at the beginning of your career, save lots of money, invest wisely. And at some point you'll have enough money. There are all sorts of ways to figure that out. We talk about 25 times your yearly spending or a 4% safe withdrawal rate. I'm not going to go into that here right now. But the idea is that we can calculate a number, get to that number, quit work, and kind of live a life full of purpose because now we have the time. So that's one way. And that's a, that can be a really good way for some people, especially if you're not worried about your current mortality. Some people say, hey, I'll work hard now if I can live it up for the next 30, 40 years after. Another path is to both work hard now, but also live a little and pursue a little more purpose. So that might be building up passive income and side hustles. These are jobs that you have to work really hard at in the short term, but within a few years, you can start getting this passive income money that doesn't take as much work because you front-loaded some of the work and start living a more purposeful life right away. Now, you might not be able to retire for a longer period of time, right? Because you know, you don't have that huge net worth saved up as in the traditional fire people do, um, but you are able to start living a life of purpose faster and sooner. And so that's like another path, passive income and side hustles. And lastly, what I call the passion play, the third path, and this is the one that takes you the longest to get to retirement, but you actually enjoy it from day one is let's say you find a job that's full of passion for you that fills your sense of purpose and you happen to make money at it. In a sense, you're financially independent from day one. The minute you start working at the job, you're doing what you want to do with your life. It so happens to pay enough to cover your monthly bills. Um, that is a great way and yet a third way to get to financial independence, but you're not going to retire maybe until you're 70, right? Because you're probably not saving up a lot. You're just covering your needs and doing that passion play. Um, all three of those are fine. The idea, again, is figure out what purpose looks like in your life and then build a financial framework that works around your sense of purpose and is most fulfilling for you. I really like what Jordan said about letting go of the money part. Yeah, I get it. I know it's important and yes, you need it, but your life is about so much more than just money. If I'm going to be honest, that's a lesson that has taken me really years to learn and I'm still working through it. I'm still trying to understand how that actually works. You can learn more about Jordan at jordangrummet.com, where you can find links to his book, Taking Stock, and his podcast, Earn and Invest. I was even on a, a recent episode, so go check that out. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a few friends right now. Tell them why they should take a listen. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guests, as well as the sponsors who help make this show possible. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. 
To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.